button on this and got around to uh, uh, putting together a Red Reporter podcast. It was August of 2020, um, a year that uh, on all accounts, baseball and not, was a little bit forgettable, uh, or at least we were hoping to forget it, I guess is the best way to say that. Um, Cincinnati Reds were in the the throes of um, mediocrity, I guess, which was an improvement over previous seasons, uh, fortunately. Um, they've thrown a lot of money into a team and into a roster that was supposed to be significantly better than it had been in previous years. Um, and then things obviously just got hit paused. Uh, um, uh, the season got shortened out of 60 games. Um, it, rosters were continually in flux being expanded and, and, and whatnot. Anyway, it was a season that was just unlike any other. Um, in the end, the Reds played 62 games, won 31 of them, lost 31 of them. Um, got shut out of the playoffs, uh, the expanded playoffs against the Atlanta Braves. And uh, that was kind of it. And a season that we had such high expectations for um, had somewhat fallen by the wayside. And uh, I preface this episode of the Red Reporter podcast here on February 4th, 2021 with that. Um, because at the time, I don't think we really anticipated that that iteration of what we saw from the Reds was going to be kind of a one-off thing. Um, they put you know, upwards of, what, $164 million uh, into the free agent market to sign some cornerstone players, um, to bring uh, uh, players in all across the roster, both from pitching the outfield and the infield, everything else. Um, we thought that was kind of the sign of them coming out of the bulk of a decade of just being one of the bottom feeders in all of baseball. Um, yet here we are in February, and uh, it looks increasingly more and more like 2020 might have been the aberration, unfortunately. Um, the moves we've seen from them so far this winter have been uh, to subtract more than to add, uh, to let go what was going to uh, potentially be a free agent, um, and to kind of sit idly by, which has been a little bit frustrating, uh, to say the least. So here we are. It's February. The latest news we've gotten from this past week suggests that the 162-game regular season is going to get started uh, as it was planned, um, and there's not supposed to be any hiccups, although I'm sure there will be plenty of hiccups. Uh, but point being, pitchers and catchers report in a little under two weeks, and that means baseball is back. And that means we are going to toast up this uh, this Red Reporter podcast and get back and going again and see how uh, even these diminished Reds are looking as we head towards the 2021 season. So um, I'm Wick. I'm your host for this evening and for the foreseeable future. And um, we're going to try to break down what the Reds have done, what they haven't done, and where that kind of leaves them at this point. So um, tonight we've got Tony Wolf from Fangrass and from Red Reporter on with us. Uh, Tony, how you doing, man? You hanging in there? And uh, what are your thoughts on where you've seen uh, the Reds and the rest of baseball kind of limp around so far this offseason? Yeah, uh, I it, it's it's been disappointing for sure. Uh, I think I think unfortunately uh, not not a huge surprise given the given what happened last year with the pandemic uh, causing all throwing the finances of Major League Baseball through all kinds of loops. And, uh, you know, of course, if you give any ownership group and any kind of excuse to not spend money or 
or get more frugal with their roster decisions, they're going to take it. And uh, we 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 don't know the what's what's in the we don't know what's in the Reds, uh, you know, balance sheet after after twenty twenty. Uh, but it's it it seems it seems like the the steps that they've taken this off season are even more extreme than we probably envisioned. Uh, when you when you look at who you look at what their off season looked like. Uh, I don't think anybody reasonably expected them to go re-sign Trevor Bauer at what what looks like is going to be something like thirty million dollars a year uh, for an average annual annual value. Uh, they weren't going to go get Josh George Springer or JT Realmuto. Uh, I don't think that was ever in, in the cards. But the fact that they have decided to uh, just give away guys like RG Bradley and Brian Goodwin, who they just traded for a month before the, the season ended, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that they lost, uh, that, that, that they traded Russell Iglesias, um, in a move that was just a pure cost cutting endeavor. Uh, they gave him to the angels and they have allowed a, gaping hole at shortstop to just go completely unaddressed which is i think the the biggest the, i think that's probably the biggest uh just glaring flaw of this offseason is you know they started off they started off dumping a bunch of cash and you sort of hoped that okay they're it's going to be more it's more important to them to invest uh the money that they would have paid to archie bradley and russell iglesias uh, and Brian Goodwin, guys like that, it's more important to them to put that money to use to go sign uh, Marcus Simeon or Didi Gregorius or even Angelton Simmons, and they didn't. They let all those guys sign for pretty reasonable contracts, and now they, they're they going into this year without a shortstop who is... They do not have a shortstop on the roster who is projected to finish even replacement level uh, <laughs> this season by uh, by Fangraphs depth charts, so that's that's really disappointing and just just seems like a really flashing red sign that says we just are not going to try to win games in 2021. And I think that's the most uh, frustrating part about it is that you look where the Reds were um, just at the end of last season. You know, uh, it was a scenario where uh, they seemed like they were basically um, one glaring piece away, and that was shortstop. It didn't look like they were 25 pieces away and didn't look like they were six pieces away the way they had been in previous seasons. Um, It really looked like they needed an offensive spark and they needed a shortstop, and that was the one spot where uh, it was a clear uh, example of what they could kind of identify, pinpoint, and solve. Um, On top of that, you look up at – uh, where the shortstop market was this past offseason. And it was quite possibly as robust as it has ever been. Um, you look at the free agents you mentioned, and Simeon, Gregorius, um, Andrelton Simmons, Freddie Galvis even. like They didn't even bring back Freddie Galvis, and he was a free agent this winter. Um, you look at the trade market, you saw Francisco Lindor move. Um, even players that have kind of spent some time at shortstop and might not profile as uh, typical everyday options were still out there for relatively uh, uh, cheap acquisition costs. Guys like Jerks and Profar, even former number one prospect in baseball. Um, the options the Reds had to address that one position were so wide, 
and they've done none of them. And that's the most frustrating thing about it is that, you know, it's not like one of those scenarios where um, they needed a shortstop and they just were not available and everybody was signed to huge contracts and they just couldn't find a way to get it done. Um, even you look at some of the deals these team, these players signed, uh, Didi Gregorius for two years and 30 million bucks, not much at all. Uh, Simmons and Simeon both on one-year deals. Um, so even if the concept of the Reds wanted to wait out this particular winter uh, to where next year when such, you know, uh, even probably a more robust class of free agents, uh, guys like Seager and Correa, uh, Javi Baez are all going to be free agents. If they didn't want to tie themselves to somebody now to be able to enter into that market this time next year, um, they still could have done that. They still could have gotten a good player for 2021 and gone right back towards uh, uh, making a major addition next year too. And they didn't. That's just that's that's what the, the option they chose to do. Um, yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, I, I guess it is worth pointing out uh, a little bit of where we stand or where the Reds themselves stand, uh, despite the fact that pitchers and catchers are supposed to report in what, like 12, 13 days. Um, last year, roster sizes were expanded. They were up to 28 players on the active roster. That's in theory been scaled back to 25, 26 for this year, even though that's still kind of being determined by Major League Baseball's uh, uh, commissioner and the Players Association. Um, we still don't know if there's going to be a designated hitter uh, for the 2021 season or not, despite the fact that it was built in last year and is expected to be part of the next collective bargaining agreement too. Um, so teams aren't exactly operating under the most uh, concrete of parameters at this point. And, um, you know, while I want to give the team some credit for saying, hey, there's a lot of unknowns here and we had to scale back rosters so players were going to get cut either way. Uh, yeah, I get that. But um, there's still it's, it's more of a, a crutch for them to use as reasons why they haven't made additions uh, than otherwise. And you look at teams that are, you know, I guess in theory have been peers of the Reds. Uh, over the last decade or so of baseball in terms of how much money they spend and how much success they've had. Uh, it seems like the Chicago White Sox, seems like the uh, San Diego Padres for sure. Um, even the Mets, who obviously got a new owner uh, over the course of the winter and have a much larger cash infusion than before. Um, these are teams that haven't exactly been the cream of the crop across baseball for years. They're spending money. They're taking on money. Uh, uh, they're going out there and saying, hey, the roster that we put together was supposed to be good right now. Yeah, maybe we lost a little revenue last year and maybe we're not going to make as much this year, but we're built to win now. We're going to do it. Um, so to see the Reds, you know, kind of with that backdrop, take a step back and kind of insulate, uh, especially in an NL Central division that has done, uh, you know, up until this past week, not really done much. Um, certainly seems like um, it's, uh, what's the best way to describe it? It seems that the bottom line of their financial statement is the priority here and it's become clearer by the day. Uh, and that's frustrating to see from any team from a fan perspective, much less a team like the Reds that, you know, last time I checked, haven't won a postseason series in 26 years. Um, so it's not exactly like they've had a wealth of previous success kind of built in to making this kind of scaled back decision. So, uh, yeah, in that regard, it's super, super frustrating. Yeah. And I mean, it's also just, it costs less money to be competitive, uh, the, in 2021, like when, I mean, you look at the Reds, <clears throat> excuse me, the Reds payroll compared with last year, it looks like it's it's down about it's projected to be down about sixteen million dollars, and if you go look at the free agents who have signed, there's there are only six or seven guys who have signed for more than that 
in terms of an average annual value. I mean, sixteen million dollars. You could have you could have put that money to use going and signing Michael Brantley. You could have gone and gone off and gotten uh, Didi Gregorius. You could have gotten Corey Kluber, Angleton Simmons, uh, Colton Wong, who just signed uh, in the last couple of days. I mean, you know, th- there were so so many ways for this team to you know not not take on a a Dodgers or uh, probably even Padres sized payroll uh, and and still make really competitive moves um, and even in I mean you look at the the trade market even um, you know the cost the the cost the prospect uh, cost to acquire uh, somebody like you Darvish uh, who is on a uh, you know, a large contract, admittedly. The, the Padres paid nothing in prospect value to acquire you Darvish compared to the kind of pitcher he is and what he immediately brings to an organization. Uh, the Cardinals paid, were, lit, were the Cardinals were literally paid by the Rockies to take, to take Nolan Arenado, the best third baseman in baseball, off their hands so you know there there were so it there are so many ways for a team uh especially somebody like the reds who are uh in the sort of in the middle of the pack uh who aren't going to be able to go out and sign whoever they want in free agency who don't have a really robust farm system to go make a a fran- a trade for francisco lindor uh, you can still you can still make moves that help you win, and the Reds, you know, they they were disappointing last year, but the foundation that was there was good enough to build on and keep the the team competitive, especially in the way the NL Central is, and whether it was whether it was ownership, uh, the Castellinis, whether it was the the front office, whoever, they just decided not to, and that's just it. That really makes you just want to tear your hair out. Yeah, it does. And, and you know, I think you know, mentioning the front office is something that I think is uh, worth kind of highlighting at this point, since we're kind of we're, we're tracing back over the last few months of what the, the Reds have done uh, in this particular iteration of the podcast. Uh, you know, since we last were on here talking, uh, Dick Williams stepped aside as president of baseball operations and did so shortly after the end of the 2020 season. Um, at the time, it certainly made you wonder if there was going to be uh, something significant of a shakeup within how things operated within the Cincinnati Reds front office and ownership. Um, you know, Williams, obviously it comes from a family that is partial owners of the Reds. Um, he wasn't fired by any means. He stepped away. Um, but it certainly kind of seemed like there was a little bit of writing on the wall with him uh, uh, removing himself from decision-making at that point, because you know, you look up the moves that have happened since then, and it's been a scale back of something he was in charge of building. There's no denying that. And uh, you almost get the sense that, um, or you at least get the uh, uh, the inkling in your thoughts that say, hmm, I wonder if he knew that this is how the offseason was going to go. He didn't want his name to be tied to that because he had put together the start of it and either wanted to have the chance to finish it or didn't want to be the one who was in charge of letting it fall apart. And uh, that's kind of what we've seen so far. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, it was a similar situation with Theo Epstein in, in Chicago, too. Uh, yeah. you know, he stepped yeah. down a little after 
uh, Dick Williams did, but it was a similar situation where it was a it was a he the Upstate built a much more successful team than uh, Dick Williams did, but you know it was still a team that he built that he he you could hit his decision to step away from the Cubs really seemed to be a nail in the coffin that okay th- this this team's next not just this off season but the next few years the direction of this organ of the Cubs organization was not something that he was willing to uh, s- see through and uh, and I I don't really I don't blame him and I don't really blame uh, Dick Williams uh, for for seeing seeing that that coming and and you know pro- pro- probably having conversations with ownership and and saying yeah this is this isn't something that I want to invest my my livelihood in uh, right now I'd, I'd rather go do something else than you know sort of sort of oversee this this punchless organization for a few more seasons yeah I mean if, if, if you're a home builder and you get promised uh, uh, steel beams and high ceilings and LED lights and you show up and somebody's got a, a couple stacks of hay and, and wants you to put your name next to it um, I, I don't blame you one bit for saying nah I, I think I'm good yeah. I, I think I'm okay with that so um, don't blame Dick Williams one bit, and it certainly does seem that there is a um, a little bit of a thread that runs through uh, that initial decision by him to step aside and the moves that we've seen since then. Um, I guess, as we've talked about the things that the Reds haven't done, um, it's worth talking about some of the things that the Reds have done. Um, while the, the ledger hasn't necessarily added a lot of commas and zeros, uh, in the moves they've made this offseason, um, you can't say the Reds haven't been active. They have been active. They have churned their roster significantly. They lopped off a lot of guys through non-tenders, through trades, uh, through letting players walk in free agency. They have added back. Uh, I'm pretty sure the uh, the 40-man roster is back up to 38 at this point after being down as low as 31 It's at one point earlier this, uh, this winter. Um, the names that they have brought in, uh, I'm going to have to pull up my phone to make sure I'm getting them right uh, <laughs> because they're not exactly the kind of players that uh, have extensive backs of baseball cards. They're not the players that have uh, proven themselves a ton at the big league level. Um, but two things about that I, I think are worth pointing out. Um, for one, the 2020 season had no minor league season. <laughs> so a lot of players that otherwise would have maybe featured prominently or had standout seasons or kind of highlighted themselves further by having solid years at double A and triple A um, still had a year of development. It was just development that we didn't get a chance to see a lot. Uh, So from a prospect evaluation perspective, a lot of players that are young players um, that might've been on the cusp of making that next leap or had come off of injuries, whatnot, and maybe would have taken a step in 2020 that would have been tangible that we could see. Um, Clubs and scouts got to see some of that. They got to see that at alternate sites. Uh, That still existed, but we just didn't get a chance to absorb it. Um, The Reds seemingly have made a very large investment, not financially, but in terms of roster percentage, uh, to players, pitchers specifically, uh, that kind of profiled as guys that would have been AAA and or on the cusp of the big leagues last year, but we just didn't get a chance to see. Um, it's a strategy that's incredibly interesting because from a pitching perspective, primarily, uh, you look at what the Reds added a year and a half, two years ago, bringing in Cal Bodie, bringing in the driveline team, uh, investing heavily in keeping Derek Johnson around. Um, and some of the younger pitchers we saw emerge significantly last year 
Um, guys like TJ Antone, Tyler Malley took a significant step forward. Lucas Sims did as well. Uh, you look up at some of the arms the Reds have brought in and the way they throw the ball and some of their arm talent and not necessarily what they've done on the traditional back of the baseball card stats. Uh, there are some intriguing arms down there. And I guess that's the one thing that we should probably highlight now is that the Reds are seriously leaning into this whole pitching revolution, pitching development thing that they invested in to begin with a couple of years ago. Um, and are hoping they can kind of <clears throat> fill from within a lot of very big spots. I mean, we've mentioned Rysel Iglesias, Archie Bradley, two proven closers and back-end relievers, uh, big-money guys that have gotten big outs uh, routinely over the course of their careers. Trevor Bauer, obviously the Cy Young winner from last year, is not here anymore. Uh, even Anthony DiScofani, who struggled down the stretch last year and was left off the playoff roster, but for years it had very good above-average success as a mid-rotation starter, which is an incredibly valuable piece. Um, what the Reds have brought in to replace those guys has been uh, a little bit of an experiment. Um, Tony, what are your thoughts on, I guess, just the, uh, the overriding premise as a whole of going young with – arms that you hope you can mold. Um, and if there are any of the, the individual players that stand out to you uh, that they've brought in and where they might fit in uh, to these entire Reds thoughts going forward. Yeah. I mean, it really is like the, it's like the Reds gave the, uh, the, the pitching development staff uh, sort of just a, a, a blank check uh, the, this off season in terms of just, Hey, we're going to have a lot of spaces and to fill in our bullpen. Uh, I mean, right, I mean, right now you look at the Reds bullpen, and Amir Garrett and Lucas Sims and Sean Doolittle are by far the most like solid names in there. Like Noe Ramirez, who the Reds got for uh, Marcelo Iglesias from Los Angeles, will be around. Uh, but then it's guys like Jeff Hoffman, who is uh, who they they traded for. Uh, they they signed Edgar Garcia. They they went out and traded for Hector Perez. They went out and traded for Art Warren. They went out and traded for Sanal Perez uh, from Houston. You know they they've they've gone out and like you said, gotten gotten a lot of fringe uh, roster guys, and that that's that's going to be interesting to see just what what they what they see in in guys like that and uh you know what what they're able to to do with them because as as much as you would as small as those moves are right now knowing the pitching infrastructure that's in place in Cincinnati you you do sort of expect that a couple of those guys are going to be uh, surprises. Uh, Sanal Perez, who uh, came from Houston, uh, stands out as as someone who uh, has has been on been on prospect lists as a pretty pretty interesting uh, young pitcher. Uh, he's he's still only twenty five. Hector Perez is still only twenty five. Uh, you know they, they've they've gotten these guys uh, who have either either have not quite made gotten a chance to make an impact in the majors or uh guys like jeff hoffman who had you know pretty lofty prospect status at one point and and have had a couple years of big league experience that just hasn't really worked out so uh yeah that that'll be that that has been an interesting aspect of this team's 
uh, off season and and the way that they've tried to sort of rebuild their pitching staff on the fly. Uh, I I I it would be a lot more fun to see them signing a few actual big league relievers uh, to you know beef up their their bullpen. Uh, a few more guys like you know Joaquin Soria and Alex Colome who were signed very cheaply in the last couple of days. Uh, it, it would be nice to be able to see those guys uh, in this bullpen uh, trying to actually win games. But if if you've de- if you've decided to kind of fold on the twenty twenty one season from the outset, uh, yeah, why not why not give somebody like uh, Brandon Bailey a shot in the in the pen and and see what you have there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you look back at some of the most recent acquisitions the Reds have made uh, in previous years, you know, uh, they got some good early work from guys like Jared Hughes and David Hernandez. But, um, you know, low cost moves that cost them two million bucks for their first year. They guaranteed him a second year for roughly the same salary and both of them completely fell apart. Um, The Pedro Strope signing last year never really panned out either. Um, You know, they've, they've kind of done some, you know, uh, multi-million dollar, but still low cost investments in the grand scheme investments over previous years to bring in relievers. Um, and it just hasn't quite panned out as much as they'd hoped. Um, you know, obviously the Sean Doolittle signing, uh, somebody who has worked with driveline all winter long in an attempt to kind of bring back his velocity after a dip last year. Um, it's nice to have one more proven arm down there, especially you guys a lefty, um, to kind of throw into that mix, but he's really the only one that they've given guaranteed big league money to. Um, and the rest of the guys, it's, you know, you're, you're hoping for the next TJ Antone. You're hoping for uh, Lucas Sims, a guy who's uh, pretty highly touted and just kind of bounced around and the Braves couldn't find a spot for him. And it took him a little bit, but he's got uh, elite spin. Spin is something that obviously the Reds have been focusing on tremendously in their acquisitions. That's something they feel like they can begin to help mold. Um, it's... Uh, it's a strategy. There's that, there's no denying that it's, it's something they are definitively leaning into heavily. Um, the question is, you know, how, which of these guys is going to fill out the rotation and how are they going to fill in the bullpen? Um, you know, we're talking about, uh, uh, on top of just who they've brought in and the kind of the nature of their options at this point. Um, we also have to mention that they're going from a 60 game season to presumably a 162 game season. That's, an extra 102 games at nine innings a, a pop. That's a lot of innings on arms that just didn't get thrown last year. Um, how they kind of uh, churn through this whole thing is going to be very, very interesting. Um, you know, it's despite the rumors we heard uh, significantly over the course of the offseason, Sonny Gray is still a red. Luis Castillo is still a red. That's a, that's a damn enviable one-two punch uh, atop the rotation. Um, but behind that, things get a little bit iffy. Uh, you know, you've got some talented arms there, but it's going to be very interesting to see how the Reds try to slot these positions or these players into these positions and whether or not they try to rotate them through a couple different options. Uh, you know, you've got Wade Miley hopefully having a rebound season. Tyler Malley is obviously there to, to round out the rotation. Um, but beyond those guys, Michael Lorenzo is a starter again. If Michael Lorenzen's a starter <laughs> again, that's another guy behind Iglesias and, and Bradley out of the, uh, the bullpen. How do you fill his role? Also, do you piggyback him with a guy like TJ Antone? Um, Jose De Leon, another guy who's kind of a little, little bit of a wild card at this point, a former top prospect who's battled injury after injury, but uh, showed a little bit of stuff 
at times in very limited samples last year. Uh, but it's just been gangbusters uh, in winter league pitching so far this uh, this winter. Um, he's a guy who I think is out of options finally next year. Um, and is somebody that they're going to have to figure out a role for also. Will he try to eat some innings and soak up the back of the rotation? Will he be a bullpen arm? Um, it certainly doesn't have the makings of being that traditional bullpen of traditional roles uh, where everybody shows up every day and knows exactly what they're going to be doing. Um, maybe that's part of part of it. You bring in a lot of no-name guys. None of these guys have had those roles before, so they're not really good expecting uh, significant, you know, inning-defined roles the way that uh, bullpens are classically constructed over the last 15, 20 years. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how uh, David Bell manages that. It's also – Worth pointing out um, in this entire process, Caleb Cottom, uh, assistant pitching coach and pitching coordinator uh, for the last two years for the Reds, who, who kind of came in with Derek Johnson, um, was signed by the Philadelphia Phillies to be their head pitching coach. And I believe is the youngest pitching coach in baseball at the moment, but was signed because of how much influence he had put into what the Reds were doing. So, um, while it's frustrating to see him move on, it is somewhat of an endorsement that what the Reds have been up to uh, the last two years while he was around was something other teams have taken note of. And hopefully that's something that we can kind of see filter through with a lot of these arms uh, as we head forward. Um, I guess the other aspect of that is that, as I mentioned uh, a couple minutes back, we didn't have a 2020 minor league season to get to see a lot of the, uh, the younger arms and younger prospects develop in the classic way that we do um, in typical years, uh, the Reds pretty consensus two top prospects right now are Hunter Green and Nick Lodillo, um, two arms that are very, very, um, well, I get they're, they're literally, they're different. It's Lodillo's left arm and Hunter Green's right arm. Um, but the way that they pitch is a little bit different as well. Um, you know, Lodillo's a strike throwing, uh, kind of finesse guy who can throw it up to 95, 96 from the left side. Uh, but as a guy who's typically known as just his, you know, his polished, proven mid-rotation uh, kind of upside, and a guy who in theory should be moving quickly. And then in green, you've got the fireballing righty who uh, has missed so much time since being drafted, um, but is back healthy and apparently was quite impressive in camp um, uh, at the alternate site when he got back on the mound last year. Um, what are your thoughts on, on maybe seeing those guys develop this year? Do you think Lodolo is a guy who might get an opportunity to actually get some big league time in 2021? I'm sorry, wait, you just cut out, like, really bad there for a second. No, that's unfortunate. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, yeah, I was talking about uh, Lodolo and Hunter Green. Um, and uh, what are your thoughts on Lodolo's chances of actually getting a chance to uh, maybe crack the big leagues in 2021 as a guy who, in theory, should have been a fast mover last year, but a guy we didn't get a chance to see move at all because there was no double-A, triple-A season? Yeah, I, I think – I, I, I think it's likely that the Reds are pretty conservative with a lot of these guys uh, this this year, especially if they aren't in contention. Uh, Nick Lodolo has thrown something like he's he's faced something like thirty hitters uh, total in his <laughs> in his professional career, uh, and those were all in the rookie uh, level. So. Uh, they're they're going to I I I would as, I would assume that Lodolo probably starts at high A this uh, coming season. Uh, maybe if he's really going gangbusters on uh, on the minors, gets a, gets a chance to come up late in the season. If the Reds really have a 
have a major opening in the rotation. Uh, but I, I think it's I think it's a lot more likely that we don't see him until probably the middle of next year. Uh, same thing with Hunter Green. I know, uh, especially especially uh, as the Reds actually re-entered the playoff chase this past year, there were there were a few Reds fans. Uh, clamoring for Hunter Green to get thrown into the bullpen and just get just get turned loose, uh, which I which which would have been fun. I won't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny that. But uh, I think I think he's gonna he's going to be another one uh, that we we see them take their time with uh, here in in 2021 as everybody kind of gets settled in uh you know the reds the reds farm system they just had they just had a farm system that really could not afford to miss a full season uh i don't think any anyone's minor leagues were were well equipped to handle that but especially with the reds you know you you had so many uh guys entering really crucial years in 2021 with hunter green coming off of an injury nick nick lodolo a former top uh, six overall pick, uh, getting his first full season. Um, guys like Jonathan India and uh, Jose Garcia looking to really prove uh, themselves in the upper minors. And instead, we didn't see any of those guys. And in the case of Jose Garcia, you know, we saw him thrust into the major league starting shortstop job after having not played anywhere close to major league competition before 2020. So uh, there were just, there were so many guys, uh, you know, Tyler Callahan and, and Reese Hines have had like a total of five plate appearances in their <laughs> professional yeah. careers after being drafted highly in, in 2019. You know, yeah, it, it's, it's, it sucks that they, that we missed so much uh, time just being able to see, those guys and what they're going to be able to contribute. And now again, you know, prospects across baseball, everyone's a year behind, but uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, any prospect I, I, I think that that really, really struggles this year or um, you know, has some, you know, takes a turn for the worse like across baseball you're going to wonder, you know, how much how much would this be different if um, if they had gotten an actual full season of playing time last year? And I think that's that's particularly true with the Reds, who have so many former first round picks who are who are going to be really crucial to this rebuild, who just didn't really get to play uh, either, you know, a lot or at all um, last season. And that even includes. Uh, Nixon's out, who was uh, sick for for a lot of the season. You know the the Reds just they they have a lot of young guys who were supposed to be who who you hoped would be would be helping them, and it were in a position to really really provide a spark to the big league roster in in twenty twenty one, and and that would be taking the reins as the next core of the next really good Reds team. And I don't, I don't, I just don't see any way you have that expectation of these guys after, after last year. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Jose Garcia, uh, you know, as, as I guess we, if we, 
we step back on the position player side, we just talked pitching for a while. Um, behind the plate, Kirk Casale got non-tendered, opens up the spot for Tyler Stevenson. You've got Tyler Stevenson and Tucker Barnhart behind the plate. You've got Joey Votto at first. You've got Mike Moustakas. You've got Eugenio Suarez uh, as the core of your infield. Um, you're hoping there's a designated hitter that does get worked into this season, which I anticipate there will be. Uh, that gives Jesse Winker a spot. The outfield mix then becomes Nick Castellanos, Nick Senzel, uh, uh, Shogo Akiyama, and Aristides Aquino. Um, Jose Garcia got a lot of playing time at shortstop last year because the Reds didn't really have a whole lot of other options, and Freddie Galvis wasn't exactly the future there either. Uh, Galvis is now gone. Uh, the Reds have added no shortstops. So uh, what are your thoughts on what the heck they do at this point? Um, do they actually try to swing a deal and get you know, Ahmed Rosario from Cleveland, who is the second tier option from Francisco Lindor with the Mets and also somebody that apparently Cleveland is willing to move on from already. Also, um, what do you, what do you do? What, what are your thoughts on how shortstop's going to shape up between now and the start of the season? And is Garcia a guy who the Reds are going to lean on again this year, despite the fact that he looked like he was still a couple years away. I, it's still as much as they have, uh, not given me any reason to uh, overestimate them this this winter. Uh, I, I it's it's so hard for me to imagine any major league team entering a season saying we we have Kyle Holder, Kyle Farmer, and this very good prospect of ours who, outside twenty four games in the majors, hasn't played above a ball yet that's our shortstop situation and, and we're going to roll with it. Like it, that's just really hard <laughs> to fathom for me. So I, I, I still think that there is a, there's still a, a good chance. I think that they go out and sign just a, a major league shortstop of some kind. You know, if, if I could, if, if it's, it could be somebody like Jordy Mercer who isn't going to, excite anybody but at least knows how to play shortstop in the major leagues and is like a guy who has been around for a while who isn't going to completely embarrass embarrass himself or yeah i was just gonna say you know if the they've forfeited defense at several other positions already they might just hand the hand (laughs) shortstop to jonathan vr and be like yeah we don't care we don't care how many balls you actually catch (laughs) you we need you to like bat fifth uh can you do that and that that's something that they could do. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, it would, it would surprise, it would surprise the hell out of me to see them trade for even somebody like Ahmed Rosario, who was just uh, offered up for Francisco Lindor and won't come cheap, let alone somebody like Trevor Story, who uh, is, you know, God knows what the Rockies plans are for anybody at this point. Um, knows, man? But yeah, yeah I, I, I really, I really, really hope that just that that on just by pure principle, not even as a Reds fan, but like on pure principle, that they aren't looking at the current shortstop depth chart with no plans to act further. That'd be that would be just really, really depressing. Yeah, you know, it's like what, what's uh, what's Zach Vinci up to these days? Is uh, is Blake Traha still around? I mean, honestly, um, Zach Cozart's probably yeah, available. Uh, Give him a call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. I mean, would, would you, 
legitimately. I mean, you know, if it's if it's one of those circumstances where the Reds are like, we're going to put on individual defense because we're going to shift on every single play, um, at least get somebody who can hit. You know, like I, you know, it's it's just it's one of those scenarios where it's hard to, well, how to describe this? The Reds have cut salary on so many different spots, but it's one of those scenarios where it's like if you're not even going to pay just anything close to what it should cost to get a bottom tier caliber starting shortstop. Why are you paying the Castellanos? Why are you paying Mike Moustakis? Why, why are you paying these other guys that you could trade in salary dumps and at least save a couple million bucks down the road? If you're not even going to get a shortstop, like what, what, what is it? It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't process for me. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm as anxious as anyone to see how, how this materializes because um, then I should, I should add, Jose Garcia is still what, just barely 22, yes. 23 years old. A guy who showed a lot of talent at the low, at the upper minors or lower minors, sorry, um, uh, and in an extremely pitching heavy league in the Florida State League, uh, led the league in doubles and extra base hits, I believe. His glove looks ready. I mean, he looks ready when he's in the field. Um, somebody who I think is still very, very uh, part of the Reds' future going forward. Somebody they spent a ton of money on in the international market plus penalties to sign a couple of years ago. Um, but just somebody that you don't want to ruin right now because you've put that much emphasis into him so far. So uh, it'll be just fascinating to see how the Reds try to begin to pull this off because A, the options are dwindling. B, time's kind of running out. I mean, players are looking to sign for what they can get right now and get into camps because it's February 4th and players are reporting to Arizona. I think Tucker Barnhart tweeted three days ago he was heading to Arizona already. So uh, it's it's the beginning of the season. It's it's starting up and um, something that's been a very big hole for the Reds for the last couple of seasons since that Cozart walked in free agency uh, is still something the Reds have yet to address. And that's, uh, that's certainly frustrating. So, um, I guess with that, heck that's uh that that's 40 plus minutes of trying to dig through what the Reds have been up to, what they've not been up to, uh, as much as anything over the last, uh, couple months as well. Um, but a good start to kind of get back in the flow of, uh, figuring out what one of baseball's franchises is trying to pull off, uh, for the second consecutive pandemic, uh, interrupted slash, impacted season which is weird on a number of levels but it's it's gonna happen and if it happens we're gonna be trying to watch and follow and talk about it so um for tony uh i'm wick uh thanks for for tuning in we will hopefully be back in your uh, uh your podcast inboxes uh pretty routinely as the season kind of unfolds this year uh you can find us on soundcloud you can find us uh at redreporter.com or where you can read us um and uh yeah uh thanks for listening and um uh, i don't know if you've got any last words tony but uh uh i think we're uh we're, we're still excited about this reds team it's something that you wish they could have done more with what they have because they do have some good stuff to it uh but i'm still trying to figure out what the heck you missed a chance to pitch or to uh yeah to plug the uh the newly twitter verified uh red reporter we've got a blue check mark we got a freaking blue check mark how did that happen right I love. I, I found out. I got the email that we had a blue check mark literally 25 seconds after making like a joke quote tweet of a John Heyman tweet. I was like, oh yeah, that's a that's a good first tweet for the blue check mark. Yeah, perfect. Uh, there you go. So thanks for the heads up, Twitter. Um, but yes, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Reporter with a blue check mark, which still cracks me the hell up. Follow us on Facebook at Red Reporter Fans, where 
We will link most of our stories and never respond to your messages. Um, yeah, so uh, that's us. <laughs> Thanks for listening, y'all. We will uh, we'll hit you up next week.